Hello again. Welcome to episode number two of the Fitted Furniture Makers podcast. The first episode was so well received, it was quite overwhelming. It's like it really struck a chord with people in this industry. And I, th- I almost felt like we could have talked about anything, but just the fact that it was two small scale fitted furniture makers comparing notes, I think made a connection with others because this can be quite a lonely career. We're often, often working on our own, figuring out problems around pricing and techniques, um, often in isolation, except for a few insights we get off Instagram or YouTube. So it seems like we're onto a winner, really, with this, with this format, at least with this little niche that we're part of. And I'm already getting calls to... Um, put this out more regularly than I, than I planned. I was planning to do it once a month. I've recorded two episodes already. So I recorded John Jones. I've also recorded Finbar Lucas, who's, I think you'll find, I think you'll find him interesting because he's very much solid wood and sustainable practices and more, more traditional techniques, although a good amount of modern techniques like dominoes as well. So I've decided that I will, at the very minimum, put out one of those interview-style podcasts every month. So we'll we'll have uh, Finbar going live at the start of March. But I just thought I'd experiment with a chat in the van in between. So the sound quality is probably appalling. Let me know if it's too bad. But it's it's what you're going to get because I'm I'm just driving right now. Uh, I thought this might work because... I used to do this on some of my YouTube videos, but it was bordering on unsafe. So I I stopped it partly for that reason, because I'd get a lot of comments saying, um, please don't crash. And it was also, I was was trying to increase the production values a little bit. Although I've had a lot of comments saying, don't worry about production value, the content is what's important. I thought, well, I might as well do my best. And those ones always seem particularly noisy. So I thought I'd try this because I can at least have the microphone a bit closer to my ear. I've, I've put my uh, my Bluetooth earbuds in, so we'll see how it goes. So chats in the van. I think the great thing about the podcast format is that you're not necessarily in such a rush. I'm I'm often amazed at the people that do watch my YouTube videos right through because I I struggle to watch a say 20 minute YouTube video right through. I'm quite impatient. And don't always find the time, what with young family and everything, which I suppose is ironic because I'm finding the time to make the videos. But for some reason that just, well, partly because I want to make money out of it long term, but it, I, I enjoy it is, is the main reason. I just enjoy it. I like, I like communicating. I like recording what I do and having that record so I can look back in years to come and think, oh, I used to do it like that. Maybe I do it differently now. Uh, so, yes, I was saying that I think the podcast format, based on the feedback I was getting from the first episode, people feel, I think, more at leisure to listen to it because either you're listening to it in the van, which is what I first imagined, because that's how I like to listen to things. And you can listen to it in bits over different journeys while you're doing something else. You don't have to dedicate your time to looking at a stream. Uh, or a few people were saying to me they're listening in the workshop, which I hadn't really thought of. And I think perhaps that's because I'm such a bad multitasker that I don't think I could have a talking a talking thing on in the workshop uh, because I'd, I'd never get anything done. 
But if that works for you, great. And I think what it what it does is it, it gives you that sense of company, doesn't it? So what I'm imagining here is people driving to a job or or home after work. Um, maybe you're on your own. Maybe you're with a mate, and you've just got a little bit of company, someone that that understands a little bit about the highs and lows of your particular type of work. Or same again, you're in the in the workshop. You like working on your own, but sometimes it does get a little bit lonely. You're only human. So why not have a bit of company? So you've got me now until, let's see, 22 minutes is what Google's saying. But I'm stuck in traffic right now, so um, we'll see see how much longer it lasts. And what I thought I'd talk about mostly is money. One of my, what I consider to be my gateway videos on the YouTube channel is how to price fitted furniture. People often find me through that video and then get hooked on the rest of the content. But it's one of the ones that I get very grateful messages about. People say, it's so good to hear someone talking about this. No one else is talking about it. Um, people say, we're making all the, all the same mistakes that you're saying you made and still sometimes make. So it's really connected with people. And money is a difficult topic. We don't necessarily always want to talk about it. But I think we're probably all quite fascinated by how much money others make and what the potential is to make money. However, I think those of us who have gone into this line of work have not done it primarily for the money. So I notice um, some distinct groups of people that come into this line of work. So small scale, uh, bespoke designed and made fitted furniture. I, because I have lots of people message me, it's quite interesting. I get a bit of an overview. Uh, there's quite a lot of people that seem to have come out of the forces, come out of the military, and have gone into woodwork. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know all their backgrounds, but I, I, I imagine that just working with your hands and getting into the detail is a, a satisfying change from, I assume, the stresses of military work. Um, and I, I wonder if perhaps self-employment is is a nice avenue. I, you know, I don't know. If you've if you've come from that background, just comment in the comments below. And if you're listening to this on a podcast, probably the best place to comment is go. F oh no, you can't do that. Huh. I was going to say go find it on the YouTube video, but I was going to put these out audio only. Well, anyway, you can. You can get in touch. You can find somewhere to comment. Perhaps on Instagram. I tell you what, I'll I'll put this. I'll announce this on Instagram, and if you want to comment about it, you could do it in the comments below there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know people's backgrounds really, but I'm just I'm just uh, I don't know people's motivations really, but I'm just observing some some trends. So you've got people that come from military background. Seem to be quite a lot of people that contact me that have come from a corporate background. So they may have been in a relatively high earning or very high earning profession but have got to a point in their lives where that's not fulfilling them and they want probably a different pace of life but also work that they find creative and fulfilling and so money is not the motivation there of course you've got you've got the guys that are trained from an early age in building or joinery or carpentry and then specialize into this area and decide to go self-employed. 
and do fitted furniture. Uh, and then you've got guys who perhaps just had had a, a day job doing something else and weren't that fulfilled, so maybe weren't sort of deep into a career, and decided to try and make a go of it in in woodworking, which is, I suppose, more the category I was in. I was going down a more academic route, but hadn't fully got into a career, studied architecture, done a few different things, but just really always loved wood, woodworking and got into it. Um, but money was not money was not the main motivation. Just wanted to do a type of work that I would find satisfying and that would fit with with me as a fairly detail oriented, quality oriented, um, someone who likes working with his hands, someone who likes a bit of variety, and somebody who quite likes working for different people and and getting the satisfaction of making something for someone and seeing their response rather than being stuck in an office and perhaps doing work that's just uh, a little bit theoretical or disconnected. So there's certainly distinct groups and I'm sure there are many completely varied people that don't fit into those boxes. But uh, I imagine most of us do come to the point where the money becomes a problem and I think I used to have a slightly naive attitude to money, thinking, well, it'll just work out. And what's happened is money has reared its head and become an issue because there's not enough of it. Uh, and so you can have very high-minded ideals about, oh, I'm not working for big bucks and I'm not money-focused. But I tell you, the, the most effective way to become overly money-focused is to not have enough of it. So I think this is why... The pricing video struck a chord because it is such a stress point when you're you're doing a job and you just know you're not making any money off it you're making a loss or you're barely breaking even you're effectively working for free um and then you've got all the related issues you've got the uh the envy and the comparison and the self-doubt so um i i do find it hard not to be envious very often uh in two, in two ways there's the envy of other woodworkers who I perceive to be to have it all sorted and to be doing very well, both in terms of these beautiful projects they put up on Instagram, which I always assume went smoothly. I have no idea why I assume that. Um, because when you talk to any of these people, you find out, well, we all we all struggle, we all have these cock ups um, and nightmare jobs, be it the customer or supplier or something goes wrong make a mistake um so yeah I, but still it's so easy because we all show our best face on instagram on the whole you think oh well how does that person do that and it must be so organized and so skilled and and then you can then assume because it's a lovely looking job you just assume oh they must be must be doing well out of that everyone else has got it sorted and then there's the envy of the customers. So I had a customer the other day, um, lovely guy, uh, really got on with him. He was telling me about his his working life. He used to be in the police, um, and so did, I think his I think his partner did as well. And they both decided to just become train drivers because so they get paid fifty four thousand pounds a year each, and they it's not really long hours. There's shift patterns, but you get a good number of days off. 
I think it's, it's less than 40 hours a week. Um, and yes, I mean, obviously there's the responsibility and there's the risk. Perhaps this is why the pay is pretty high, the risk that uh, someone jumps on the tracks. And this did happen to this guy, in fact. And he said he only really could cope with it because of his police training. But I'm thinking, wow, they're making 180,000 a year between them. And he says, yeah, I just, I don't save a whole lot. We just, we live for the moment. We, uh, we go to Disneyland all the time. We just enjoy life. And, I, I, and he says, I just decided to, to make work, just work, turn up, do it well, and forget about it. Nothing else to worry about after work. And um, so we were chatting about all this. And I uh, got to the end of the day. And it was, another, it was a late one, as many of my installs are, because I think, well, if I can get it in in the day, I'd rather that than have to go back the next day. And he's, he stood there in the doorway going, wow, you, you sure work harder than I do. <laughs> and it's quite galling, really, because in those moments, you think, why, why am I doing this, actually? Because perhaps I could just do this as a hobby. Perhaps I could get, perhaps I could be a train driver, earn a decent living, and in those days off, just tinker a little bit. And that would be a lot more sensible because I might I might get that bit of satisfaction in, in making stuff with my hands, and it'd be it'd be untainted by the stress of trying to make it pay. And I could go to Disneyland with my family or whatever. But then you think, well, I think actually the grass is grass is always greener. And although I certainly have my downtimes about the work, nothing beats that feeling when you've pulled off a really great project and you know you've learned something in the process the customers over the moon your instagram followers are going wow it's so great and you you just get that satisfaction and you can't get that without a bit of struggle still there's this question of how do we get to the point of getting a fair reward it's not about greed how do we get a fair reward for what is a very demanding type of job and it's it's high risk. And I imagine you can relate to this, this feeling of the monkey on your back that you might you might be doing well. You might not have had any massive cock ups on jobs for a while. You might be doing your pricing pretty well. But there's that awareness that you've got to keep peddling because nobody's going to pay you holiday pay. And there's, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that the, the work's going to keep coming in. There's no guarantees that the next job won't go horribly wrong. And if you're doing okay, but just pretty much break even, then that can, that can change in an instant. And I, I personally, I think I live with a level of background stress since running a business that uh, was, well not unheard of before but i think it has become the norm and i do uh, do often feel jealous of people that have a steady job and think well there's that a lot of that stress is taken away because you have such a safety net and it's interesting to have been an employer as well to have taken on staff and realize the protections that staff have with with holiday pay Regardless of whether it strictly is being generated or exists in the in the business, you go on holiday, 5.6 weeks a year as an employee, you must get paid. Of course, it's fair, um, and you have you have the safety net of, say, if the work dries up, 
you've got a notice period for redundancy after after so long. And as a as a small business owner, you can find yourself in this position where your employees have a level of security and stability which you don't have because you have you have to fund that. And even when like like us, we're a limited company, and I'm strictly as a director of the company, I'm an employee of the com- company. Strictly, I have those protections, but actually, the money's got to be conjured up out of somewhere. So I've, I I would have to fulfil the obligations to staff, and then theoretically pay myself holiday, pay myself uh, redundancy or, or whatever. I suppose it's a bit different. But if the money's not there, then the stress is on me to to generate it or to go into debt. Um, <clears throat> I hope this isn't all coming across negative or overly money-focused, but I think a lot of you can get where I'm coming from, and it's not meant to just be a long complaint, but more an opportunity to um, to connect on the, the, the stresses that people outside of the industry don't necessarily know. So I thought you might be interested to know what what I have earned and what I what I do earn from the business because I don't really mind talking about it. When I started out doing this, I, I seem to remember. I mean, going back ten years or so, um, but from the point where I was really just fully self-employed, trying to make this work, um, I'm pretty sure I made about five thousand pounds in the first year, and I don't know how we survived. My wife was working at the time, um, bits and bobs. And then it was it was five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand. So it went up just very roughly like that. When I was trading as QDS carpentry, that's what it used to be before Freebird, doing all the same stuff, earning my stripes, making loads of mistakes, um, underpricing all the time, working late a lot, and uh, yeah, not not earning a great living. And then it's 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 gone steadily up and up, but. Uh, it became a bit of an ingrained, an ingrained mentality, actually, because I started off all eager and enthusiastic. So, and, and this is what I wanted to do. I love this work. I did it for the love of it. And I just this drip, drip, drip of stress and not quite making enough and sort of like I'm failing, failing at business. Would, would just strip away, slowly strip away that creative enjoyment of the work. Um, and I was always trying, trying to regain it, and I'd get a job, and I would regain it, and I'd, I'd you know, price it okay. But uh, I found it very hard, very hard balancing act, really. Um, and I and I'd think, well, what's wrong with me? Because I'd see people who seem to just be totally, you know, as I wished to be, doing woodwork and enjoying it, crafting it. Um, and sometimes you just you don't see the stress at those times because I'm I'm also good at putting a good good foot forward, good face forward. Um, sorry, just got distracted because a little message came up on my phone on Google, Google Maps. So uh, yes, what am I trying to say? Uh, so it's a it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Um, I was telling you about my earnings, wasn't I? I left you a little bit in suspense. So currently, we are earning uh, between forty and fifty thousand take-home pay before tax, like as a as a wage, high forty, high forties thousands, 
according to our current figures, um, which isn't bad. But it's when it, it depends how you look at it. Because so my wife doesn't have another job, partly because our son who's disabled, she can't find a job with flexible enough hours. And that could be changing soon as uh, Isaac's going into specialist nursery, and she should have more more dependable hours where she could get a job. But for three years or so now, the business, we've had all our eggs in the basket in the business. So she's co-director and she does some very useful things, does the finance side of things, and is generally a really good sounding board and helps get me in order when my head's a mess and I can't figure out what to do first because I can't really stand office work. As much as people think I'm organized, um, I'm only organized because I'm disorganized. So I had to hunt out systems that would that would give me some structure to work to so that things would run better and my head wouldn't be in such chaos. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so if you look at it as you've got two co-directors taking 24,000, 25,000 each, you know, in our in our late 30s, university educated, intelligent, skilled people, it's pretty it's pretty mediocre, really. And when the business is not profitable it's break even so we take that wage not making a loss but it's break even so i have days when i look at it on the negative and think especially when i'm with customers especially customers who are younger than me with a very similar background to me university educated and they've been smart they've been financially smart they've gone into a, a profession that's earned them a more than comfortable living and they just look so relaxed and of course again it's the grass is greener I'm imagining, I'm idealizing. I don't know their life really, but I see what just appears to be a better life choice from the financial perspective. Um, so I have days when I think, oh, what am I doing? Is this ever going to be really pay off? Am I ever going to be able to take my foot off the gas and go on a holiday without it being a huge loss uh, financially? Um, but then I have days when I think, no, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I've, I've built this thing. It is earning a living. I've trained people up. I can I can take a bit of time off. Brady can fill in the gaps a little bit. Um, the future's bright. So you can always look at things two different ways, can't you? I, I just, some of you may have seen, I just recently pitched my business. It was the culmination of a, a business accelerator program in Yorkshire called the Y Accelerator. And the end goal, really, of all the coaching and seminars we had was they, they were looking to find Yorkshire businesses that they could really help to accelerate to, to big growth so in, in interest of the economy. It was all funded. Amazing. Free, free coaching. Um, and I was I was taking all this on board and it was blowing my mind, really. I was learning about how you finance a business, how you grow it. Learned a lot of useful stuff. You can you can debt finance it by getting into debt. You can equity finance it by exchanging investment in your business for a share of equity or ownership of the business. If you do that, you, you don't actually have to pay it back if everything goes south because the, the investor has made a decision to take the risk in the hopes of the gain from having a share of the company. So learning all about this, this kind of thing. And I did a practice pitch uh, where I was plotting with this, this rising bar chart, plotting the course of the business, getting investment, in the new workshop, growing aggressively. And the feedback from the pitch was, 
that's interesting, but we can tell your heart's not in it. And I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it terrifies me. It fills me with dread because we were, I'd been set the challenge by the coaches. What would your business look like if you could get it to a million pounds turnover business, say in five years? Currently, we turn over 210,000. So that's, that's the total amount of money that comes into the business. So I, I thought, well, I'll do that. I'll plot it. And it was a really good exercise to think it through, think through what's involved rather than just having a vague idea of growth. So saying, OK, to, to reach that target, we have to do this quantity of jobs because the, the jobs we charge out at this amount. Okay, maybe we can start charging them out a little bit higher. Um, then our overheads are going up as well. And at this point, we're going to definitely need a, a new staff member, an installer. And this is where it gets a little bit uh, off-putting because I've tried I've tried subcontracting installers and, and had a number of problems before. So backtracked from that before. And I've taken on staff in different roles. And again, it's, it's very fraught with problems. So I'm looking at this and thinking, OK, we'd have to have this many staff, this capacity. And then we're looking at the million pound goal. And I'm thinking, I don't know if we could even do that out of this next workshop I'm getting. So then we take it on a new workshop, just thinking of space and workflow. Um, and so the feedback was, if your heart's not in it, you're not going to make a success of it. So backtrack and think about what do you really want to achieve in this business? What is it you really want? Because it doesn't have to be aggressive growth. So long story short, the final pitch that I made was, I, I want to grow this. I would like to make a better living. I'd like to have some really healthy profits. But I'm quite happy to cap it at the point where I can continue to give the personal and genuinely bespoke service that we give to customers, because that is one thing I find very satisfying. I want to get to the point where I have the freedom the freedom not to work for a period, to go see family in America, spend more time with my kids for a period, or if Isaac ends up back in hospital, to know that the business is more than just a job, um, but it is actually a business that can function to some extent without me. But I, I want it to be small enough that I can remain hands-on because I can imagine nothing worse than just being a manager. I, If I have a week, when I have a week, in the business when there's no installs and I'm just juggling paperwork and designs and various different demands that are office-based, I just get so unhappy. And then send me out on an installation and I'm just focused on that for the whole day. I don't care if it's a 12-hour day, usually. Just I'll just do it and I'll get the satisfaction at the end of the day and I come home happy and my wife sees it. So like, okay, thank God you had an installation this week because you're happy again. So... I, I don't want to grow it just for money. I know that much, but I want to have a bit more money. I want to be a bit more comfortable. I want to get that balance. And then the other part of my pitch was the digital side. So if I can monetize YouTube and uh, digital products that I'm starting to sell, because I understand the pain points of the people that I'm selling to, other fitted furniture makers, and so I can give them value and give you value, get a bit of money in return it's like i've gone from all these systems i've created for the business gone from growing vertically in the business to growing horizontally and that gives me a lot of satisfaction because that means i have a wider impact i can train more people through youtube videos globally than i can in the business so that's satisfying impact and then if i can do all that up my income a bit get some profit 
Um, upgrade his income. Up Camilla's income. I'm happy. One of the coaches that I talked to at the uh, at the pitch event. I'm just so I'm distracted now because I'm just about home. And strangely enough, my wife's on my tail. She's just picked up Isaac from nursery, and she's just behind me. And I've just taken a different route so I can go around the block and finish this recording. She's probably thinking, "What are you doing?" So, uh, yes, the, oh, I've totally lost my train of thought. No, there we go. So there was one of the coaches because there were all these really high high net worth people who mix in big business circles. It was very eye opening. I was chatting to one of them, nice lady. Um, two really interesting things that came out of that. One was she had a, had a really bad experience with Ren Kitchens, who had project managed her kitchens and made a complete hash of it. And long story short, she had she separately had connections at the high level management of Ren, by which she knew that their policy was pretty much you will get some customers where things go wrong and they're deeply unhappy, but you just you don't help out, you don't pay out, you wait until they give up fighting. That was pretty much the policy. I hope I don't get myself into deep water saying that. That's risking me saying that, and it may not be that simple. But what she said was, they, what, what she's, strangely, what she said was, they were a well-run business. And I said, what? You've just had a nightmare. You've had a nightmare situation with your kitchen that you just spent the last, last 10 minutes complaining to me about. She said, no, no, they were a well-run business because they, their bottom line is, is great. And they've just taken this policy. They take they take that loss because they make a bigger gain by by having the the, the approach that they have. Well, that's, that's interesting. The other story that she told me was of someone she's she's coaching or consulting with a tech guy, lovely guy. She said who who had a great business idea. It's grown. He got to the point where he was making millions, and he's now at the point where he's making or on the brink of making hundreds of millions. And she said. She observed something with him and suddenly realized she'd observed it many times before, but only now she's, she, it's clarified in her mind. This is what always happens. When people get into the hundreds of millions, they get, they get more greedy. They, where they were previously happy to share equity or partner with other people, they suddenly want to keep it all to themselves. This is mine. I worked for this. And yeah, it's, and I'm thinking, well, once you're earning the millions, wow, what's, what's driving you to earn that much more? Because she said his, she had first started working with him and started with what are your personal goals, which should always be the starting point. And he said, I, I want to be able to, to go live in Thailand on the beach with my family. And so she's now saying to him, well, you, you can fulfill your goal now. Um, you, you're getting more stressed and not wanting to do the partnerships that will actually help the business to continue to thrive. Um, so very, I just thought a very interesting story about about human nature. That that tendency to to just want to go, to just want to get more and more. Once your motivation becomes the money, then how much is enough? And how many of us decide how much is enough? So. I feel like this this accelerator program has helped clarify in my mind. Yes, I want to earn some more money, but it's not all about the money. I made a conscious decision. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna seek. And right, I just I just cut, got cut off. I thought that might happen. My wife rang me, so I need to wrap that wrap this up. I've got to take my daughter swimming. That's what I'm doing next. So, 
I've lost my train of thought a little bit, but I think I've pretty much got there, haven't I, with what I was saying. It's not all about the money, but we do need it, don't we? We need enough. So how much is enough? How much is enough for you? And how are you going to get there? Do you want to build your woodworking business beyond yourself? I would say it's wise if you're, if you're running a business, then to get it just big enough where it doesn't completely stand and fall on your health or abilities is, is a bit of a safety net, um, but not easy. And at the end of the day, what's right for one person is not right for someone else. So you've got to figure out what's right for you. And I think above all, be true to your values, which might take a bit of digging to figure out what your values really are, because we can, in different phases of life, we can uh, get a bit off course, and lose sight. So I'm going to leave it there, just pulling into my driveway. Let me know what you thought of this. Is this a good format? Shall we do it again? And if you found it helpful, and if you connect with this, then do check out my buymeacoffee.com slash freebird site. See if there's anything there that you think will be further helpful to you. There's a few downloads, and there's the membership option uh, where there's extra content. And if you just like what I do, then please support it by just buying me a coffee if you like. No strings attached. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye for now.